Um, God is good. When? All the time. So important to understand the reality of what God has done rather than seek to experience what you hope God will do. And I would say 90% of people are trying to experience what they hope God will do. And if you haven't had the videotape and you weren't at the meeting, you need to get hold of it. It's called How to Turn Hope into Faith. Most people live in hope. They hope something will happen. They hope this will. But they don't live in faith. Faith is totally different from hope. Hope is something you hope for for the future. Faith is something you lay hold of for the now. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you've got it, you don't need to hope for it anymore, do you? You don't, do you? If you've got what you hope for, most people when they come, they basically, they don't come into life because they don't hear what God's saying. And this morning, I'd like you to hear. That's just the way it is. I want to shake a few of you out of your little trees. Uh, you know, people get up their little doctrinal trees, and I like to shake the bottom of the tree, get them out of it, you know, because uh, the tree of religion's awful. The tree of hope is awful. Well, I hope God will. Well, I think God will. Well, maybe he will. Well, that's useless. That's not the way to live at all. A lot of people live that way. And God wants to bring us to a certainty. We know what we believe. I'm not ashamed of what I believe. Thank God for it. Um, it's wonderful what God does. Let me read a little um, comment from William Law. He wrote it a few hundred years ago now. And um, it was after he got um, really born again. Before he got born again, he wrote a book called A Call to a Devout and Holy Life, and it led John Wesley into bondage for years. And John Wesley was very upset when years later he picked up this book by William Law that was called Regeneration and New Birth, and he went and he tackled William Law, and he said, why on earth didn't you tell me about this and write about it Years ago, I lived under law for so long. And William Law said, at the time I wrote the book, Devout and Call, uh, Devout Call, oh, what is that? Call to a Devout and Holy Life, he said, I didn't know. He said, I got born again after that. And it's when people are born again, they know. Up to that point, they're miserable. They've got religion. They've got their do's and don'ts. They haven't got life. A lot of people live in that. You find if you haven't got joy and you haven't got freedom in your heart, it's because you're religious. God deliver us from you. God deliver you from yourself. Religion's an awful thing, isn't it? Doesn't help anyone. Anyway, he wrote this. God so loved man when his fall was foreseen that he chose him to salvation in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. When man was actually fallen, God was so without all wrath towards him 
so full of love for him that he sent his only begotten son into the world to redeem him. Therefore, God has no um, anger toward God, toward man, but love. And all that he does to man is love. God doesn't ever come as preachers like to depict him in anger. They're not angry with anyone. God is not angry with you. Uh, Wesley, when he was in his bondage, wrote, you know, uh, a sinner in the hands of an angry God. I mean, it frightened people spitless. They, they heard it, and, and, you know, some people used to go into his meetings, and they said they'd feel the flames of hell licking their feet. It got rid of their athlete's foot, but it didn't help them much. Um, terror doesn't bring you into revelation. It's, in my Bible, it says the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. And people need to know the goodness of God. And it's that that is so important, and it's that that's so little preached. It's that that's so little understood. God is good. Uh, and William Law was saying, hey, you know, it, when man fell, God didn't come into the garden with anger and fury. Came with love. Adam, where are you? He was looking for fellowship. God wants to fellowship. He didn't create man so he could destroy him. He created man for companionship, for life. Uh, and we have to understand that. And the whole purpose of God is to restore us to that which he always intended. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be restoration. It's not the outward that counts so much. It's what you are inside with God. God looks on the inward man. He wants to know what you are inside. Okay? So many people are worried about their... Any fool can be good for a little while. Mao Zedong said so. Wrote it in his little red book. He said, it's easy for a man to be good for a little while. But it's what you are inside that counts, isn't it? Hmm? You can con anyone with your smile. Unless they're born of the Spirit, and then you, even your smile doesn't hide your spirit. But there we are. We won't go into that. I want to talk about love. Because it's, it's where I, I begin and end, really. Um, so many preachers take the Scripture... Um, and condemn people with it. You know, you've left your first love. I wrote a book on it. Uh, they wrote to the church at Ephesus, you've left, I've somewhat against you, you've left your first love. And I find the condemnation and guilt, I don't like it. I'll tell you why I don't like it, because everyone's trying to feel something. They want to get all emotional. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's not biblical. That's what's wrong with it. And I'm a Bible man. If you want to quantify it, people come say, oh, you know, when I first met Jesus, I really fell in love with him. Oh, I walked on air, I did this, I did that. And then I came down to earth. 
it's easy to get people up at the front. If you want an altar call, you just preach on first love and condemn everyone. Do you really feel the fire the way you first felt it? Do you really feel, you know, and then, no. And then, down they go. And if you use a stick or a, a baseball bat and beat people around the head, they won't feel very good after half an hour. And then they stagger out the front, you know, and they start saying, I want to love you more. The trouble is, when they walk out the door, they're no different. You haven't ministered faith. You've dumped on them guilt, conviction, and all the wrong things. And God's against that. That's not God's way. God came to lift me up, not to knock me down. Hey, man's down enough in his life. God is good all the time. And he's come to do us good, but so often we lose sight of the truth. And the truth is this. He loves me. That's the truth. That's the only truth man needs to get hold of. That's the only truth that matters. I don't believe in anything other than the love of God. The love God has for me. He thinks I'm wonderful. He loves me. He thinks I'm precious. He loves me. That's the only thing that matters in life. People need to know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you. He's not against you. He's not full of spite or venom. He's a God of love. God is love. It's his nature. Man's full of spite. You find people full of bitterness, rancor. Sin does that in a person. But God's nature is love. He's come to lift us up. He's come to help us. He's not, never, never, never is God against anyone. You might oppose yourself, but God never opposes you. You might hurt yourself, but God, no, 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 no. He's not like that. And so often man misses the reality of what God's really like. Half the trouble is they live in the Psalms. It's great living, thank God for the Psalms, but I want to tell you this, live in the Old Covenant with Old Covenant doctrine and Old Covenant teaching, and I'll tell you what you'll get. You'll become a Jew. Uh, and that's what so many Christians are. They're Jewish. They haven't come into the revelation of how much God loves them. And so I wanted to talk about first love, because it's really where I live. If you want to know, there's only, I only believe one thing, I only have one sermon. I preach it a hundred different ways, but really I only say the same thing. Um, because I only believe in one thing. God loves me. God loves you. Put your hand on your chest.
Say it this morning. God is for me. He loves me. He thinks I'm wonderful. And he's right. <laughs> he really is. You know, it's terrible. How people condemn them. Uh, I'm a worm. Jacob was a worm till God changes his nature. And when you're born from above, you become a son of God. You're alive in him. God lives in you. And the life that you live, it's not your life anymore, it's his life. People love to live in delusion. Oh, but you know, we all sin, we all come short of the glory of God. I gave my heart to Jesus 42 years ago. I've let him down many times, but he's never let me down. That's not a testimony, that's a disgrace. I'm alive in him. He lives in me. He loves me. He's on my side. Amen. That's the truth. I know a lot of you don't believe it. And if you want to know how I know it, I can see it. You don't have to be a great prophet of God. <laughs> see it written across your face. Do you realize everything in your spirit is written across your face? You can't hide it. You really can't. That's what's so wonderful. Children of light. That's why we behold the glory of Jesus. You know, it's with open face. You know, see, there's people whose faces are open to God. People whose faces... Mm. So you always know who's who. Coming to a church, you sit there, begin to sing as soon as you know who's who. The only person that's excluding you from love is yourself. Don't think, oh, well, you know, uh, what do I do? One person came up to me once, said, well, many people have come up to me a lot of times, but <laughs> this person came up to me, what do I do to become really, to feel a part of it? I said, keep coming. He said, yeah, but what do I have to do? I said, just keep coming. A few weeks later, he came up to me with the same question. I said, keep coming. About a month later, he came up with the same question. I said, keep coming. About two months later, he came up to me, same. He said, I know, keep coming. <laughs> said, you're getting the message. After another four months, he came up to me, he said, oh, he said, God's met me, it's so wonderful, I understand. You see, man can't, you can't get someone in by a decision. If God doesn't birth them, they're not going to get birthed. Don't you ever try and force people into experiences let God do what God does. If God doesn't light a man, they won't get lighted. I'm a great believer in letting God do what God does. I, I see a lot of people, they try and heal the sick. Don't try and heal the sick, do it. 
If you've got a word from God, do it. And if you haven't got a word from God, mind your own business. Leave them alone. It won't work. What God does, that's why Jesus said, I don't do anything of myself. What I hear the Father say, that's what I say. What I see the Father do, that's what I do. It's knowing what God's about. We're co-workers together with God. I want to get involved in what he's doing and his work and I leave other people to do what they want to do. A lot of people want to do their own work. And that's stupid. Because what God does gets done and what God doesn't do never gets done. All right? Is that clear? Turn with me to 1 John, a lovely epistle. Here's the explanation. Anyone ask you about first love? Here's the answer. 1 John 4. 1 John 4. You ought to, any, any Christian should take this uh, epistle, any, every Christian, and, and without anything else, you should read this through 50 times, one after the other. Every day, just get up, read this epistle through. Uh, and for 50 days, just read this epistle till it becomes part of your being. You can let the word get inside you till you know it. In 1 John chapter 4, it tells you what first love is. In verse 19, read it out. Verse 19, good authorized version, no perversion. Great, that's first love. We love him because... That's first love. And the reason people get in condemnation is they leave first love. First love is God's love for me. The thing that people leave in life and the reason people get in messes is they forget how much God loves them. If you want to understand, the Ephesian church suddenly began to rely on themselves. They suddenly got big in their own eyes. They got a big idea and they forgot that it was the love of God that pulled them out of their mess. It's the love of God that lifts me out the miry clay. It's the love of God that gets down and reaches into my heart. It's the love of God that washes me clean. It's the love of God that purchased me. When I was an enemy of God, God laid down the life of his son for me. Love. We love him. Why? And if you don't know first love, that's his love for you, you can never love him. You might fear him, you might reverence him like the Jews did, but you'll never love him. The revelation of God's love is the most fundamental thing in any person's life. 
He loves me. You know, people sing the song, Oh, how I love him. How I adore him. I'd love to change the words. Oh, how he loves me. How he adores me. <laughs> I, 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 I find so many people are, Oh, you don't know how much I love God. I'm not concerned with that. I'm concerned with how much does he love me. He loves me. Oh, he loves me. First love. That's where people go wrong. That's, that's the fundamental problem with people in life. They come, they've got into all sorts of messes, uh, and, you know, they've got all kinds of fears in their life, all kinds of doubts, all kinds of diseases, all kinds of uh, frustrations, all kinds of fears. You take it back to the one basic thing. Hey, just a minute. He loves you. They often say, I wish I could believe it. That's their problem. They've never been born from above. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost comes. You can't love without the Holy Ghost. If you don't love, you've got the wrong ghost. A lot of people with the wrong ghost. I might speak in tongues, but, but that's, that's, that's... I tell people, speak in tongues all you like. The first biblical reference to speaking in tongues was Balaam's ass. So if you want to be an absolute ass, chase after tongues. It says he, uh, he spoke to Balaam by the Holy Ghost, because usually the ass said Eon. This time he said, can't you see there's an angel standing there? Now, I want to tell you, the ass didn't know the love of God. He knew the fear of an angel right in front of his eyes. And that stupid Balaam was beating him and saying, go on. And he, so the Holy Ghost had mercy on the donkey. And he says, all of a sudden he got... And he, it says he spake by the Holy Ghost. I don't think it's a Pentecostal gift because Daniel gave an interpretation of the tongue that was on the wall. So it was long before Pentecost. God's good, isn't he? He loves me. He really loves me. But the fruit of that's going to appear in your life. If you really got the love of God in your heart, something will happen inside you. If you haven't left first love then some manifestation comes about. And it's that manifestation we need to look at. Uh, in 1 John uh, 4 and um, verse 7, Beloved, let us love who? One another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. That's what God is, he's love. Now, let me say one thing. There's a lot of Christians who come and they say, I love everybody. Well, I want to tell you, you're a liar. 
I don't believe anyone that tells me they love everybody. Because I can only love those that I know. I can't love those that I don't know. Very important. Let that sink into your heart. Uh, you can't express love unless you meet someone. I can sit down and I go, Oh, I love all the Christians in China. Humbug. Have you ever been there? No. Or do you know any? No. Ah, oh, but God's put such a love in... Yeah, pure emotionalism. Grow up. And I find those type of people, they can't love their neighbour. Usually if it's a husband, he can't love his wife. Or if it's the wife, she thinks, you know... Um, you know what I mean? It's easy to love people a long way away, isn't it? Hmm? It's the people you live with you have a problem with, isn't it? Huh? I mean, no Chinaman's going to annoy you. Wonderful. Oh, God's given me such a heart for India. Great, yeah. Well, I really love him. Yeah, but you live here. It's the people you work with. It's the people you live with. It's the people you associate with. It's the people in the church. It's the people you know. That's why it's very specific. You love one and then another and then another. Love one another. I don't like it when people are general, you know, oh, well, I just love everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got to be specific. You've got to love people as individuals. Because people are individuals. And there are some people that take more grace to love than others, aren't there? Huh? There's some people it's really hard to love. It takes God's love to love them. Isn't that right? You need the grace of God working in you. You need the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost because natural love isn't going to do it, is it? Hmm? That's when the challenge comes. George Fox used to go and he used to provoke people. He was the founder of the Quakers, filled with the Holy Ghost. And he'd go to people and he'd get them in such rages, they'd run at him. And he used to put his hand in his pockets and laugh at them and say, You say you're born of God? You know, inside of you, something works. Life unto life, death unto death. Depends what source you feed at. Love of God. Or that bitterness of sin. The gall of bitterness. Jesus Christ comes to make us clean. Comes to liberate us. When light comes, the first thing it does is manifest darkness. Darkness doesn't understand it. It's a risky business being a preacher. But it doesn't matter. 
Ah, oh, people. It's funny, really, how people can hate. It shows their spirit. And really, if you have a sense of humor about it and laugh, you're okay. If you take it personally, you're a fool because, you know, it's God they're mad at. They can't get at God, so they'll get at you. So just be smart, you know, poor people. <laughs> they live in death. What a shame. It's a tragedy, really. Because Jesus came to give them life. He loves us. And we need to understand first love. His love for me. How can the love of God make anyone angry? How can it offend anyone to know the love of God? I, I just want to deal with a myth. You know, I like dealing with myths. And if you turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Hey, in the Bible, there's lots of stories. Have you noticed that? Some are historical, some are hysterical. Some are profound, some are simple. Some are more doctrinal, and some are just clear um, statements. And when you read your Bible, as I say, it's always important to notice the context and to notice to whom it's addressed. And if Jesus is speaking, you always look to who he's speaking to. And you can't take any word and make a doctrine. I was, while I was in um, Tulsa, uh, we were talking, and, and there's this idiocy of the Jethro Principle. People write books on the Jethro Principle. The Jethro Principle is... Jethro was a priest of the Midianites. It wasn't God's principle, it was Jethro's. It led people to worship golden calves. But lots of churches have cell groups based on the Jethro principle because they don't know they're following a devil. Uh, but it's better to follow God, isn't it? The Gamaliel got up and he said, well, if it be of God, it'll last, and if it's a man, it'll fall. Well, that, <laughs> that was Gamaliel's opinion, not God's. It's in the Bible, and I hear a lot of people quote it, but let me tell you, Buddhism's still lasting. The Hindus are still around hundreds of years later. Uh, they lasted. Are they of God? No. Things do last. It was Gamaliel's belief. It wasn't God's. God didn't say it. And don't ever, when you look in the Bible, you've always got to look at who said it, to whom they said it, and why they said it. Okay? Hello? That clear? Otherwise you end up in error. And in Acts 2 we find something um, that I just wanted to talk about for a second or two. Verse 43. Um, or let's take verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And in breaking of bread, that means they ate meals together. And in prayers. Don't, don't get brethren and think they're all breaking bread. That's not what it's talking about there. And fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and good, and parted them to all, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. 
and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Amen. Great. You know, if you have a meal, eat it with gladness. Glory to God. Isn't it great that God gave us food? Hallelujah. That's why I always like to be on a seafood diet. I see it and eat it. I, I, you know, I worry when I meet people always off their food or pick at their food. You know, it's almost a misery to eat. That's terrible. You can see, for me, it's a joy. Got signs following. There, there's something wrong with people that can't enjoy their meat with gladness. Hmm? Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. Now lots of people would say, ah, there you are, you see. Now, when the church began, and Acts 2 began, they had a common purse, they had a common life, they had a common... No, it doesn't say that. It tells you what happened. Acts 4. Acts 4, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of what? One heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And bought the price of the things that were sold. And laid them down at the apostles feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? But that's not a pattern for the church. So many people say, there you are, pattern for the church. You see, if, if you get real revival, that'll happen. But that's not what God says. It's what happened there, it's history. Uh, Luke, when he's writing this, is saying, hey, this is what happened. But God foreknew that there was going to arise a great persecution. And everyone was going to lose their houses, their lands, and if they didn't, flee their lives. So God, being smart, got the people in Jerusalem to be smart enough to sell their possessions and sell their homes and sell the things that they weren't going to be able to keep. And they'd have lost them, and they'd have lost all the value of them when they were scattered abroad. So the Holy Ghost led them to do it. And you'll find it over, and it's explained in Acts chapter 5. Verse 1, and here's where this is often used to terrify people. It's not that at all. It's to make people understand. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, that's some property, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain part, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now they conspired together 
to keep back part of what they got from selling a property. It was their decision. And I heard, I've heard people try and terrify people and say, oh, God's a God of judgment, you know, look, look, look. And they're trying to say to people, hey, you ought to give everything. Well, I don't believe in a common purse. I never have and I never will. You, the steward of your possessions, what God's given you, you better be responsible and deal with it correctly before God. You have a responsibility for your life no one else has. Don't you ever get the idea you can dump the responsibility on someone else and don't try and dump it on me. You're responsible for your decisions in your life. You're responsible for who you marry. You're responsible for what you do in life. You are responsible for you. I'm not responsible. I don't take responsibility for you. God's not going to ask me why you did this and why you did that. That's your, you did it because you chose to, didn't you? Hmm? If you make a mess of your life, it's because you choose to. Hmm? It's not my fault, is it? It's always, people always want to blame someone else, you know? I was talking to the parents from the school yesterday. And I want to make it plain. If some kid gets into trouble, I want to tell you why they get into trouble, because of the parents. Well, school can't ever substitute for parents. Parents, if they don't walk in integrity and they don't bring their kids up right, in the end, the responsibility is yours. Now, I can say I've got three children who are growing up. That's why it's important for a pastor to prove himself. You wait till you see how his kids turn out. Give you a good idea. You know, we've got uh, our friend from Holland. I, I forgot to introduce him, you know, because I got turned on by the song. He's come to preach tonight. Whoops, he's come to preach tonight. And Marsbach his name. Now his dad, lots of people criticized his dad. When I went to Holland they all told me bad things about his father. Which usually means there's something good about him. Because if you don't hear bad tales about someone they're not worth knowing. That's my opinion. If they've got a good reputation, woe betide you when all men speak well of you. With me I'm just trying to find one who will. Um, but <laughs> All his children are in the ministry. He's gone home to be with the Lord. All his kids are in the ministry. Did, did, did Johann Marsbach, his dad, make mistakes? Yeah, he did. But I've yet to meet a man who hasn't. There's things in everyone's life you wish you hadn't done. You know you make the odd mistake. You don't wish you did it, but you did. Did they do things? Yeah, probably. But it's amazing how God in his mercy and his love will get people to accuse you of things you haven't done. And he'll hide from them the things you have done. So you can look with a straight and honest face and say, I didn't do that. Um, but in everyone, you might make a mistake just out of the fact that you make mistakes because that's the way it is in life, isn't it? Hello? 
I, I know there's one or two of you here who think you've never made a mistake, but that's because you're deceived. But we do, don't we? Hello? You know, we go along in life and we, hey, but I tell you what, you'll have a hard job doing. You'll have a hard job turning around and criticizing the fruit of his life. And the fruit of his life is his family. In my view, and he had a real gift of healing. He was um, converted, uh, and he was the interpreter for T.L. Osborne when he went to Holland, a tremendous revival in um, 50, 58. I've seen film of it. It changed the face of Holland. And his father interpreted for our dear friend T.L.O. And um, lots of people criticized, hey, you know them, they're fruit. Huh. I produce. See, that's the way it is. God said, if you can't look after your own household, don't try and look after the flock of God. Fruit. Your children will be a reflection of what you are. Isn't that wonderful? They'll magnify your bad points and usually minimize your good points. Or by God's grace, they'll get a real conversion and people will think you were an angel. <laughs> in, Acts, in Acts 5, here, let's get back to it. They kept back part of the price and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why... Hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Now, I want you to look. When you owned it, wasn't it your own? When you sold it, wasn't it in your own power? In other words, what happened in Acts 2 and Acts 4 was a choice that individuals made because God moved upon their heart to do it. But it wasn't a pattern for the church. When you own something, it's in your own power to dispose of it as you see fit. And if you sell it, all that you get from it is in your own power to do what you want. Was that clear? That's what a book says. Then he goes on, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came all that, on all them that heard these things. Now, People look at it and say, what terrible judgment of God. Let me tell you, this man conspired to pretend he was one thing when he was something else. He was pretending, and there's a lot of people that can come into this church and pretend to be one thing. Watch out. It's dangerous to go and mock God. Because the Holy Ghost sees the hidden man of the heart. 
Now they had conspired to lie to the Holy Ghost, to pretend they were going to really make sacrifice, to pretend they were going to be totally in unity with what God wanted. It was pretense. It was a fraud. They were looking to get the benefits from the church. They were looking to get standing in the church. And so they conspired together. They didn't. They loved the money. They loved the wealth. They loved what it was. And they conspired together to keep back part of it. But in everyone else's eyes, they were going to pretend this was everything they were giving to God. And that's why judgment fell. The young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. That doesn't mean he was clockwork. Uh, it means they, you know, <laughs> put a cloth round him to bury him, as their custom was, all right? And then it goes on. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. That means if you're late for church, ask someone at the door what's been happening. <laughs> Better to know. <laughs> coming unsuspecting. You might get wound up too. Uh, <laughs> and Peter answered unto tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thine husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straight away at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came on all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. I should imagine it did. I'll tell you what, you'd have been counting your money very carefully and if you sold it for X, you'd have said, I sold it for X. You, I mean, it would have bought honesty and integrity, wouldn't it? Huh? Well, wouldn't it? I'm amazed how many people tithe to the Lord. You know, they give 10% of their income, except it's not 10%. But they say it is. Oh, do you tithe? Oh, yes, I tithe. Well, let me tell you something. God keeps accounts. Don't conspire against the Holy Ghost because you can wind up, wound up. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought amongst the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, there's no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them, and the believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. It's wonderful. And they brought the sick into the streets, and they were healed. Do you know, integrity is something that God wants in his people. And, and what this story is teaching, not that God's a God of anger or a God of vengeance, but God is a God of integrity. And in his church and among his people, he expects our yes to be yes and our no to be no. He expects when we say things, we mean them. He doesn't want you to be two-faced, talking out of both sides of your mouth. He wants integrity. What's lacking in the church today is integrity. 
I'll tell you one thing. If I collect any money to do a job, every penny goes to what it was collected for. It will not be used one penny for anything else. Why? Because I believe you've got to have integrity. If we take a collection for a visiting speaker, every penny goes to that visiting speaker. You don't deduct your expenses. That's integrity. I'm amazed how many people come and say, oh yeah, I'll make a covenant, I'll make a vow before God, I'll give this, I'll give that. They don't. In the end, you've got to have integrity. And people get wound up. Gone. Why? Lack integrity. But it wasn't a God of anger. A God, there were no wrath in it. I want to tell you, Peter said it was sadness. The saddest thing is to see people that don't understand how much God loves them. <laughs> That's why Peter had to explain to him. He said, look, look, while you owned it, you can do what you like with it. It's yours. When you sold it, it was still yours. You could have come and told the truth, said, well, I, I, I sold it for so much, we've kept back part, but here's the rest. But no, they wanted to make a big show in front of everyone and pretend. But it never was a pattern. And do you know, from that day on, Paul writes to the churches and he always is taking collections for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now the reason they were poor saints in Jerusalem, they'd sold their lands, they'd sold their possessions, they'd sold their houses, they'd got driven out and persecuted, they'd got scattered, and that's how the gospel was taken when they were scattered abroad over all the earth, and they were able not to lose their lands because they'd already sold them. They'd already got it, already made sure they didn't lose it. But, it left that church in poverty forever after. They were having to send them money to support them. You'll find it in the epistles. It wasn't a pattern for the church. It was just the way God knew what was going to happen in the future. God foreknows. And he might tell you to sell something and give. He knows what's coming down the road. You don't. But it was always according to their own personal will and their own personal giving. God doesn't ever com compel anyone to do anything. What you have is yours. Love never demands. He loves me. He doesn't love me for what he can get out of me or what I'll do for him. He just loves me. He doesn't want my money. It doesn't need it. The church doesn't need your money. God just wants your heart. He doesn't want to somehow rob you of anything. He wants to give you everything. He's a God of grace. He's come to give and bless. He's not come to rob. He hasn't come to steal. I've heard this so often used by preachers to try and screw money out of people. I hate that. It's not what it's about at all. We have a God of love. He loves me. First love. I love him. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, well, uh, it's different, isn't it? 
when you look at what the Bible actually says. Hello? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Some of you are sitting there looking... Mm. Do you understand? What's yours is yours. Don't lie to the Holy Ghost. If you want to give, give. Uh, no one's trying to get money out of anyone. But so often that's what they do. Hey. There are principles in God, integrity. But it wasn't a vicious God who suddenly, NUM! And an eye, room. It was they lied to the Holy Ghost and they schemed for position in the church with their money. And they thought they could get influence and power. And when they schemed and tried to deceive, they actually lied. Peter says, you lied to the Holy Ghost. They could have told the truth and nothing would have happened. He said, it was in your power to keep whatever you wanted. And everything you own is yours. This God of love I'm talking about doesn't need anything from you. It really doesn't. He wants to give you everything. I want to tell you he owns everything. What a good God we have. Huh? I just wanted to crack a myth. It just... I, you know, sometimes deception's got to be got rid of. If you've thought the wrong way for a long time, you need to think the right way. Find a lot of churches, they say, Oh, we want to return to Acts 2. No, I don't want people all around the world having to take collections for the poor saints at Brentwood. <laughs> They're all suffering. Not at all. God wants us to prosper. Amen? The work of our hands is going to bless. Doesn't want us all be in poverty and I need a house to live in I've got a wife to support I've got to provide for her and she's expensive <laughs> you know wives are, I've got children and then there's more expense grandchildren I thought when they got married that was the end of it it's the beginning of the end Glorious. Amen? Let's live the right way with integrity. But most important of all, let us live with the knowledge, first love. Don't ever let anyone rob it from you. Tell you what I do, I've been in the most terrible situations where people have maligned me, where people have accused me, and I can always go back and I have done this, and I want to tell you, it's the thing I do. I go back, I can kneel by my bed, I can look in his face. I know you love me. And at that point, nothing has any power. Not bitter words from bitter people. Not lies from the devil he loves me oh how he loves me most wonderful revelation of all it's called first love don't ever leave it don't ever grow up that you forget that all your source is his love for me 
So many people say, I know God. I said, very well, great. Does he know you? Because that's what's important. When he said to the servants, depart from me, I never knew you. He didn't say, you didn't know me. All of them would have said, oh, we know you. He said, I don't know you. That's the most important distinction. And the ones who know him are the people who say, oh, I did this in your name, I did that. He said, oh, depart from me. The reason was they weren't doing Father's will, they did their own. So a lot of people claim to know God and just live their life for themselves. In that day they'll find he'll say, I didn't know you. Most important thing is, God, know, God knows my name. I know. He's called me by my name. He hasn't called me names, he's called me by my name. He knows exactly who I am. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Written in heaven. He loves me. He thinks I'm wonderful. If you have that in your heart, you'll never go wrong. I tell you, you can go through the darkest night and it'll be as the daylight. And the daylight of it all is looking into his face and knowing his love. It'll keep you in every storm. It'll keep you through life's trials. It'll keep you through everything. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. As I've said so many times, you walk straight through the valley. Don't ever sit down in it. Go through. There are times when you've got to face things in life. But the most glorious thing is when you can look in his face and know he loves me. That's what will keep you. It's called first love. Don't ever leave it. And don't get caught up with the absurdity. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The way you know you love God is not by how you feel, it's by how you live. He that loves me keepeth my commandments. If you don't keep his commandments, don't say you love him. The result and fruit of a man who loves God is he keeps his commandments. And he can't love until he knows how much God loves him. Christianity is so simple. So easy. And how much you obey and how much you do his will, that shows how much you love him. Not words, not, oh, I feel. Oh, let me love you more. That's not love. That's emotion. The reality is how you live. It's not what you are in here, it's what you are when you walk out the door in your daily life, in your family, in your home. That's what you are. Amen. It's practical, isn't it? But then I'm a practical person. If it don't work, I don't want it. I want what works. He loves me. You know, there was a lovely song we used to sing, I, I don't know, I, I, years ago, I suppose 30 years ago, about a sheep, a little lamb being taken up in his arms. 
in his arms he gently bare me. I, I, it used to be a hymn, I think. Uh, and I always remember one time being caught up in a vision and seeing Jesus out of time and lying in the arms of God and looking up into those wonderful eyes. And I want to tell you, his hair is no longer black like a raven. It's white like lamb's wool. So white. His eyes are as flames of fire. It's so wonderful. It changes you inwardly to know the embrace of God. He loves me. First love. God loves me. Don't ever leave it in your life. It'll keep you through everything. It's the only foundation of faith. God so loved the world. He shed his precious blood for you because you're precious to him. He didn't buy rubbish with the blood of his son. He bought a precious bride and you're part of that bride. Don't ever downgrade yourself, lift your head up. Have boldness to come to the throne of grace as a son of God. Blood bought, blood washed, clean. He loves me. Come with open face and love him. Amen. Isn't that simple? Let's all stand. You know, I think it's the most sad thing when a man forgets how much God loves him. When a man somehow sees God not as a God of love, a God of grace, but somehow vengeful, angry, annoyed, pushing him away, is not like that. There's not an ounce of venom in this God of mine. It's just love. He's not angry. Jesus came and bled and died for you. He rose again the third day. He lives. His eyes are flames of fire, flaming love. His heart's a heart of love. It's believing his love. That's why miracles and healings happen. When Jesus came, he wanted to express God's love to a hurting world. That's why he sent us out to heal the sick and deliver the captive. It's an expression of God's love.
He's saying to humanity, hey, I know it hurts, but there's an answer. And he's the answer. This morning, there's nothing that love won't do for you. He came with love. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be ashamed. Jesus took the shame. You're not cursed. He became a curse. You're not rejected. All the lies that go on in the heart and the mind, they're what they are, lies. Jesus said, if any man comes, I'll in no wise cast him out. Whoever wants to can come. You can respond to love like that. I want to ask you a question. I want you to do something. Just close your eyes where you are. Jesus is seeking the wanderers yet. Why do they roam? Love only waits to forgive and forget. Home weary wanderers home. Wonderful love dwells in the heart of the Father above. I want to ask you a question. And don't lie to the Holy Ghost. He's not against you. He's for you. If there are things you need to put right in your life, in your heart, it's time to do it. Hey, it's time to come back to first love. He loves me. He'll forgive me. He'll wash me clean. He'll restore my soul. I can't sort out my own life. He'll sort it out. All I have to do is lay it on the altar to this God of love. I know there are some here that need to change. I want to give you an invitation. You, rest of you just keep your eyes closed, mind your own business. If you know that the Holy Ghost has spoken to you and you just know it's the Holy Ghost, you feel rejected, you feel in conflict, I want you to leave, just those and just those alone. Leave where you are and come down the front here right now. Come on, God's not against you, he's for you. Don't worry about anyone else. Rest of you keep your eyes closed. Hey, he's not angry with you. That's not his nature. You just come.
you know, he loves you. There's no anger with him. There's no bitterness with him. He loves you. He hadn't come with recrimination, accusation. Jesus took all your sin into his own body on the tree. Hadn't come to hurt or to harm. Come to heal. Come to restore. Come to make whole. That's his love. I believe in a God of love. First love. He loves you this morning. He really loves you. He's not angry with you. He really isn't. He's not against you. That's religion's God. Not the man of Calvary. There's not an ounce of anger in him. He's not come to blame you for where you are. He's come to take you out of it. He's come to release you. That's his life. Father, I just pray for each one here. Lord, I just thank you. Your word's true. Reach inside. Each one. Right now. Glorious King. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Thank you, you restore the years the locusts have eaten. You give us back or the enemy would rob. Lord, your love is such, it's as though it never was. Oh, Master, wonderful King, wonderful Lord. Put your hand on your chest. Close your eyes, don't look around. Now tell yourself, God loves me. He really loves me. He loves me for being me. He's wonderful. He loves me. I'm precious to him. It's wonderful. Amen. That's the truth. Live in it.